Welcome to Stock Talk, the new Stockhouse podcast series that brings you behind the scenes insights into trending topics from capital markets, influencers, and entrepreneurs, broadcasting from the heart of the financial district in beautiful downtown Vancouver. Welcome to the Stock Talk Investor Podcast, where we help listeners and investors understand more about opportunities in the public marketplace. I'm Jonathan Brown. Agritech company B Vectoring Technologies International Incorporated has pioneered a unique and natural precision agricultural system that uses commercially grown bees to deliver biological crop treatments to plants. Trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol BEE, the company helps farmers drastically reduce their use of chemical pesticides while increasing the yield of every acre of crop they grow. It's a business that harnesses the power of nature to make the agriculture industry more sustainable while continuing to feed the world's growing population. These compelling factors have helped BVT gain the attention of media across the world, farmers across the U.S., and investors who are building intelligent portfolios based on spotting major global trends. Today, we're joined by BVT's CEO, Ashish Malik, and legal counsel, Jim Rockman to discuss the company's patent portfolio, which is an important and valuable part of its growth plan. Ashish and Jim, thank you for being with us on the podcast today. Thanks thank you, Jonathan. Glad to be here. Yeah. Nice. Uh, Jim, let's start with you. Could you just uh, tell us about your background and your firm's experience? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so Breskin Parr is an intellectual property firm. It uh, was founded in 1965 um, <clears throat> by Dan Breskin, who's still active in the firm. Um, we're probably one of, uh, one of Canada's largest IP firms. We've got a great team of uh, over 70 professionals practicing in trademarks, patents, copyrights, and related uh, IP matters. And then we've got a huge and a very, very um, experienced support cast as well of clerks and assistants and uh, back-end staff. So, um, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very good team here. We've got a lot of uh, expertise in specialized areas as well. So. Um, we've got a big life sciences group, um, and one of the partners in that group, Lawrence McVie, is part of our team. Um, he does a lot of the uh, real hardcore life sciences uh, technology aspects for BBT. Um, I've got a mechanical background, so dealing more with the apparatus aspects of the technology. Um, and I should mention uh, Adam Barillo is a member of our team as well. He's uh, an associate, and he's been uh, helping out for a number of years as well. BVT has invested significantly in building an international patent portfolio over the last few years. Why has the company done this? Uh, Jim, let's start with your perspective. So there's typical reasons why I think companies like to get patents early on. Some of the usual reasons are very applicable in this case as well. It's, uh, it's a great way to just get notice out there that your technology is important, that you're differentiated from your competitors, and that you're serious about your R&D and about protecting your technology. Patents, of course, help you gain a competitive edge over other businesses operating in a similar space. And then looking more specifically, I think just at the BBT case, they're operating in an environment that really lends itself well to patent protection. So one of the things that, and I think Ashish can maybe mention a few comments as well in this regard, but there's a very high, it's a very capital intensive, very time intensive uh, process to get what they're doing out to market. So there are, for example, on the technology side, there are a lot of complexities and hurdles that needed to be overcome. The way that BBT's done this is, of course, very interesting. So some of the hurdles that they faced um, included just details in coming up with an active ingredient that would work well so that the active ingredient, once delivered to a plant, would 
perform the desired treatment on the plant. Then they had to come up with some sort of carrier so that because they're using bees to carry this product to the plant, they had to come up with a carrier powder to hold that active ingredient without reducing the efficacy of the active ingredient itself and also without harming the bees and ensuring that it facilitated pickup of the product by bees as they leave the hive. Um, a couple more points that they had to address were the hives itself. They had to come up with an apparatus that could attach quite easily to existing hives, given that that's sort of a well-established industry already with its own uh, beekeepers. They had to make sure also that the system was easy to operate and maintain by the beekeepers. So all of these aspects uh, were were features that had to really be considered and contemplated and um, really addressed in the design of the system that BBT came up with. So on, that's on the one side. And then on the other side, there's, of course, the regulatory process that's, uh, that's in place. So when you're dealing with pharmaceuticals, of course, there's environmental protection legislation um, as well, because you're dealing with food, pro food products, you end up with FDA regulations. And I know that that's something that uh, BBT has been working with very hard on the government side. And I think Ashish probably has, a little, has some words he can speak yeah. to uh, on, the, on yeah. the regulatory side. That's a good point. Uh, would you add anything from the CEO's perspective on why BBT is focused on building such a strong patent portfolio? Yeah, and, and I was just going to pick up on what Jim had already said. In the agricultural industry, it takes many years to bring a unique and innovative technology to market. So, you know, you start from basic R&D work to field development work, and you move through the regulatory process to get ultimately, you know, license to sell. It's the freedom to sell in a jurisdiction. So that entire process may take seven, eight years. Uh, and you're spending a significant amount of resources, which is, you know, even more significant in the case of a small company like BBT is in its early years. And so you want to make sure that you protect all the work that you've been doing, that you've been doing. Protection come, can come in the form of, of patents or, or know-how or also in the regulatory work that you do. Because the last thing you want to do is having done all this work to bring a product to market, you know, the next year to have four competitors be in the market as well simultaneously with you. So, so you, you do all these things to put up the right competitive barriers or, or a moat around your business, as we sometimes call it. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really important, not only in the context of protecting the business that you're building, but it's also important because it can attract partners. Because uh, a lot of a lot of times partners will see the investment that a company's made and built competitive barriers, and and companies that may have much bigger you know sales forces, for example, uh, that are interested in the technology that we're building, would want to make sure that the technology is also protected if they want to then represent us or become our sales agent in a in a particular geography. So having this patent portfolio also enables a lot of these partnering discussions. Jim, can you tell us about BBT's patents, uh, where you have those patents, why you chose those places, and what has been the approach to identifying the patent roadmap? Oh, for sure. So BBT has a, an extensive patent portfolio. They've sought protection in many jurisdictions. So this includes many countries in South America for sure Canada and the US in North America and also many countries in Europe as well as Asia. One of the approaches was of course to recognize that growing food, growing crops is is done in many many different places and so 
if a competitor were to bring a product to market, they would probably want to go into these larger markets to start to have impact and to be successful commercially. So by having as much coverage as BBT does, it would make a competitor have to think twice if they're going to come out with a product, even if they wanted to design a product that competed and, and either they wanted to launch it in a jurisdiction where there was no patent protection or came up with something that was a little different, it, the barrier that's, that's posed by the breadth of uh, geographic uh, protection that BBT has, uh, has gone after um, would make it very, very difficult for them to compete successfully. I mean, in, in an ideal world, you might say, well, I want patent protection in the world. And sometimes people think you can get patent protection in the world, but patents are granted by the countries, by each country in a jurisdiction. Even in Europe, where they have a central European patent office, you still have to validate in each country, each member state of the European Union to, uh, to get protection, have enforceable patent rights. So it becomes very, very cost prohibitive to say, I want to cover every single country in the world. You have to sort of balance that. You have to balance that cost with uh, the strategy of where do you think you need, might need to enforce? Um, and so one of the ways that you look at that, of course, is where would people be using the systems? Another approach, of course, is to look at where competitors might be making the systems. Um, that is a, is a bit of a weaker model to go by um, for a number of reasons. Uh, most notably that it's fairly easy in this day and age. Well, maybe not since COVID-19 has come across, but uh, assuming that that gets resolved, it's normally pretty easy to move production from one jurisdiction to another. Um, that doesn't become too much of a barrier. But if the, if the market where the products are going to be used that's much more difficult to move. So um, having the protection in the, ge in the geographic regions where BBT has done so is, uh, is I think, very, very strategically done. And it's, um, like I say, it's probably one of the, one of the larger portfolios that I've um, had the privilege of working on. This next question is for both of you. Uh, some people might say that you should invest in product development and sales at this early stage in the company's growth rather than the patents necessarily. Uh, what's your response to that? So I, I, the way we see it is it's not one versus the other. They're, they're all important. I mean, of course, you have to invest in product development efforts, uh, generating the data that shows to a farmer that your product actually works. And of course, in building the sales infrastructure to, to generate revenue, those are, those are absolutely critical. But at the same time, if you're trying to build a business for long-term growth, having, having the patents to protect you you know, when you are succeeding with your product development sales effort, you're, you know, they, they say copying is the best, you know, best form of flattery. Right? I mean, if people are going to mm -hmm. want to do what you have done, so how are you going to protect in that kind of environment? Uh, success breeds followers. So in that environment, you have to also be building competitive values as you go along. So uh, we have been doing everything, you know, we've been doing the product development work and we're building the competitive barriers uh, along the way. Uh, we also see, I mentioned this earlier, about the, the value in partnering discussion. So, you know, for example, we may find uh, our technology fits beautifully in a country where we don't have a direct presence ourselves. But if we own a patent in that geography, then what that means is you can, you can start talking to potential go-to-market partners in that jurisdiction. And to the extent that they're interested in bringing this technology and they feel that there is a fit in their geography, that they would then have to work with you and you would ultimately license the IP to them so they could take advantage of that 
uh, system and bring it to market locally. And you would sit back and you could either create, just collect the royalty on the patent, or you could have a, a sales and marketing type of a transaction. You could make aspects of the product to sell as well. You can structure a, a, you know, you come from a position of strength when you're negotiating such kind of an, a commercial arrangement. So I think the patents that we're building go very much hand in hand with what we're trying to do on the sales and marketing side. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. For sure, it's not an either or. Of course, just for the simple reason, you have to have some R&D done and you have to have some sort of a, a working model or some sort of reduction to practice that you think is going to work to, to, to be the subject matter of a patent application. And then, of course, there's the tension of wanting to file as late as possible and yet wanting to get the product out early um, and wanting to get your patents filed before you get the product out. So there's a bit of a, a bit of tension there and you end up wanting to for sure file the patent applications before uh, there's any public disclosure. So they do have to move in tandem. And I'd also say for sure exactly on the licensing side, that's a super important point. Um, having the patent gets you, we often say it gets you a seat at the table because if you haven't got the exclusive rights in a jurisdiction, it's coming to the, to the table without any cards, right? You're not going to be able to um, negotiate very well. But by having those exclusive rights granted to BBT by, by the government of that jurisdiction, you now have something to, uh, to bargain with. And it, become, it can become a very, very successful uh, revenue generating source with minimal additional infrastructure required from your own company. So it, becomes a, it can become a very, very successful model that way. I see. Very interesting. Uh, finally, is it possible to determine a value for a company's patent portfolio? If we were to look at BVT's market cap and its patent portfolio, can we give investors a sense of just how much it's worth? Jim, let's start with you. Yeah, that's a question that comes up uh, fairly frequently. What's the value of my patent portfolio? Um, and it's uh, it's not an easy question to answer in the sense that um, there are many different ways and different accepted approaches to uh, arrive at a dollar figure for a patent portfolio. Um, and of course, some of them are going to be much lower than others. So it becomes a bit of a subjective exercise. So just as an example, some people will say, well, we're going to start looking at the at the book value of what it costs you to obtain the portfolio. And others will say, well, no, that doesn't make any sense because it completely ignores the real power of the patent, which is with respect to um, protecting margins and market share going forward. So getting estimates of that, sort of the sales revenue in the, in the upcoming years, that's where the real value would, uh, would be driven. <clears throat> and others will simply say, well, really the value of a patent portfolio is what somebody else is willing to pay for it. So um, it just gives you an idea of some of the different competing approaches to the question. Um, but I think probably one point that bears mentioning here is that um, we mentioned it before, the, the high upfront cost in terms of capital investment and time investment with the regulatory regime that's in place, it really uh, moves this industry, this technology into a fairly close parallel with the pharmaceutical industry. And so if we look at the pharmaceutical industry, um, we start to see things like um, references to you know, these patent cliffs, which is a term that comes up fairly frequently with respect to patents on drugs. And so a patent cliff, the whole theory of a patent cliff is that when a drug is coming off patent, a couple of things happen. You're open now to generic competition, so the market share of the former patent holder will shrink. Plus, because the uh, generic company hasn't had to go through the whole exercise 
exercise of developing and um, getting the drug through regu regulatory um, approvals, they can often offer the, the, the product at a far, far reduced rate, often between 25 to 50% of what the current sales price is. So what this means is that your, your revenue for the, for the generic company the, or the, uh, for the brand company that owned the patent, the revenue is going to plummet. And we've seen that time and time again. And that's, term, uh, that's where that term patent cliff comes from. Just a quick example is, um, you know, Prozac is a drug that many people are familiar with. It um, came off patent in 2001, was, was facing generic competition at that time. And uh, studies that have, have been done after that have shown that um, the mark within two months, 70% of that market was lost. So it can be very quick. And there are a lot of generics that are, before the patent expires even, they're ramping up, ready to bring that product to market. So you can see that those patents are super, super valuable. Because, of course, the flip side of the patent cliff is that if you didn't have the patent, you wouldn't be in that position where you had the protection for your market share and for the price that you were um, offering the product at, which of course is what's necessary to recover uh, on your investment. You wanna have some return for the investment, right? And so the patents are what really protect that in that industry. And again, there's, there, there's clear parallels there with the, um, with the intensive capital cost required to get the product out, the, the incredible length of time that it takes to get, to get the product out, um, operating well and to get through the regulatory approval process. So I think that gives a pretty, pretty good indication of how the value of these patents could be assessed. I can give examples very specific to the agricultural inputs sector. So it's, it's, it's pretty well known and, and I've, and I've worked at the, you know, two biggest global multinationals in the space, Syngenta and Bayer. But it's pretty well known within the industry that when a agricultural inputs product that has been patented, such as our BBT CR7, such as our beneficial microbe, when that kind of a product goes off patent and, and, and generic entrants enter the marketplace, it's very typical to see a between a 30 to 40% price erosion for that product in the marketplace. And that's no different than when a, when a drug goes off patent and you have generic versions of that. And so, of course, when you see a 30 to 40% price erosion, your cost of goods to produce the product are the same. You can see that that price erosion just has a tremendous effect on the gross margin for the company. So that's one very real example that, you know, having a patented product can show that you can actually gain a 30 to 40% higher price. Uh, the other thing in terms of, uh, uh, the other example I can give in terms of a company overall I worked for a company called AgriQuest, and I was a member of the executive team of that company. And we had, you know, one or two products, but we have had a strong portfolio of products in our pipeline, and also a very strong IP and patent portfolio. And uh, we were ultimately acquired by a global multinational by Bayer Crop Science for a multiple that translated to something like twenty-five times revenue. And the reason we commanded such a premium over their small revenue that we had was not because of that revenue that we were generating, but because of the technology platform that we had built and the patent portfolio that we had built. And so in the context of how important patents are for BVT from a partnering perspective, 
if we play this out a few years down the road, um, we can also see that this patent portfolio that we're building will make us that much more attractive, potentially from a strategic investment perspective as well. So uh, that's it's difficult to put a number on it today, but it is very clear that uh, big global companies are interested in smaller companies because of strong patent portfolios. Atterson, Jim, uh, thank you for joining us again today and uh, sharing your company's story. Great. Thank you. Just a reminder to follow us on social media at Stockhouse for the latest updates on all your favorite public companies in North America. For more in-depth coverage, industry news, and to connect with our active investor community, you can visit our website at stockhouse.com. Also, don't forget to visit our new and improved Stockhouse Deal Room on site for unique and exclusive private placement opportunities only available on stockhouse.com.